Hello, and you are most welcome to episode one four. Welcome to episode <laughs> one four six of the Game Pit Podcast. My name's Ronan, and Sean usually does this bit, which is why it's all going wrong. You can hear tittering in the background. Hi, I'm Ellie. <laughs> she is tittering away, and Sean's not here again. So rejoice or weep as you choose at that, and uh, you're stuck with me again after last episode's solo game pit fight for six games. We've got another pit fight for you again, small box games, but I have roped in the help of Eleanor because these are all multiplayer games. Yeah, we've been playing them with the family, twapped in the house. Twapped, I tell you. <laughs> Escape freedom. Uh, no, I can't actually moan about that because following on from last week, I told you Sean and I were in isolation. We're all good and diddly and we're both back at work, which is a rare thing in the UK. <laughs> I have I have a letter and freedom to drive around at least London anyway. So official. Very, very key and official and key to help the tube carry on running. So Sean and I are back to work working on the railways, which is actually good. Because getting to do something I feel useful at this time is awesome. And Eleanor has got to do more work than I've ever seen her do for school. More work than usual. <laughs> for sure. The teachers were making excited. up lessons. They're all excited. It's the first couple of weeks. I don't think I take off these subjects. <laughs> by mid-May, they're going to be like, oh, whatever. Here's a crossword. Here's a <laughs> Paint by numbers. Psychology. <laughs> Psychology Sudoku, I don't know how no. you do that. No. no, we'll think about that. Okay, so it is a pit fight format, which is where we have a bunch of games and they have something in common. And what all these games have in common is, I said they're small box multiplayer games. We're going to crack through seven of them. We're not going to spend a long time in any of them. We've generally played them once or twice, possibly a few times more if we like them. And then we're going to rank them on a countdown from seven to one at the end of the episode. And we don't know how we've ranked them to each other. I want to say rank a few more times. <laughs> I was going to do the countdown music, but I decided I didn't want you to get no, copyrights. Do it. No, go on. Dun, you can do That, I think, you called them that music. You went for the non-tuneful <laughs> bit. You did the countdown rhythm. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it should be. It's getting to us. Everything's a bit rank. Let's kick off, shall we? <laughs> Sort of wibbling. The first game we're doing is Bees, The Secret Kingdom. It's from Camel Sanex Chesler. I don't know why that nickname's in the middle. <laughs> it's from Van Ryder Games and Awaken Realms Light. Awaken Realms do all those big games like Tainted Grail and Lords of Hell. I still don't have it two years after it came out. Where's my money? Uh, <laughs> this is there. It's a long story, Ellie. <laughs> I missed the pledge manager and it's two years later and I still don't have the game. Oh, I know. Anyway, Sanders. <laughs> Scam. <laughs> they started awake. Oh, it exists. I've seen it. I've been grinked by <laughs> it. <touched> it. <laughs> I played it, <laughs> but not my. Not copy. your own copy. No. It's not anyway, should we talk about bees? Because that's Maybe. the game we're talking about. Good. It's Awaken uh, Realms Light is their publishing arm, obviously to do lighter games because people expect a certain something from Awaken Realms games nowadays. And bees is a card game themed around bees. And Ellie, starting before we even go into gameplay. From looking at it, the minute you get out of the box, like me, it's gorgeous. It's so pretty. Just the artwork's flowy and nice. Flowy? <laughs> it's flowy. Did you do that in your art? Did you see it? Flowy art. Yeah. Good. It, it's just some cards and some crystals, but genuinely some of the most standy outy 
and attractive game art. that better than flowy? Because I said it was. Okay. (laughs) So it's automatically, it's attractive to play. In terms of gameplay, there are two different things you can do. You can either take pollen or you can claim honey. And it's honey how you're going to score your points. And when one of the decks runs out, either of them, whoever's got most points is going to have won. Now, when you take pollen, you draw two cards from the pollen deck. And on there, they have got what you can claim in the top right of the card. And in the bottom left of the card, it will also have symbols which allow all the other players to claim one or more crystals. They might have to choose between colours. So, for example, if I draw a card, it might have blue and purple in the top right corner. It might have blue or purple in the bottom left. So everyone is getting something on everyone's turn whenever Take a Pollen is chosen. And you can manipulate a little bit and you have that simple choice of two cards, which at least... Keeps everyone involved, Ellie. Yeah, it does. I think it's very interesting because you have to think about when you choose between the two cards, you have to think about how it's going to affect everyone else. And some people like, um, you have a maximum amount of pollen you can hold. I think it's three of each colour. And you could choose ones the other people are already maxed out on so that they couldn't get them. Yeah, it's one of the funny little type, probably the meanest thing in there. It's not very mean, is yeah, it? Yeah, no, it's not mean thing. <laughs> no, not at all. The second thing you do is, so when you, you take those cards and you choose the pollen and you get given it by someone else, you take crystals and then you hand in the crystals for honey is how you're going to score points. There is a market of honey cards. You're not drawing from a deck in this one. And they are worth one, two or three points each. And they may have an action on the bottom. And one of the questions I have for you, Ellie, is how often were you worried about taking the card of the honey for the action as opposed to just going for the most points you could? I mean, I think we played this twice. And in both games that we played, we scored extra points for having cards. With oh, them. you're a jump header. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we had cards that scored extra points for not having actions on the bottom. So for me specifically, I felt like I could use the actions to boost what I was gaining, but I wasn't really going for them for the actions. Yeah, the actions, were there was a limited amount of them, and it wasn't doing anything wild and different. It was very set. I mean, everything was very easy to learn and very smooth to play, but every game felt more or less the same because there wasn't that wild variety. It's not like you're choosing a card and it's like, oh, revelation, that's turned everything, or I'm playing for a particular action. They were just tiny little supplements to what you were doing anyway. And I feel like the actions that you took didn't particularly affect other players, aside from the direct ones that caused them to discard pollen. So you, you spoiled it, but there is a way... <laughs> Ruin the whole thing. <laughs> the advanced game, I'm doing air quotes, you can hear them. There are hive cards, there are five of them in the box, and you draw three, and they give you things like extra points, for example... I mean, you may have heard this somewhere before, but from honey <laughs> cards... strangely familiar. <laughs> honey cards with no actions on might be worth more points, or there might be a sudden death condition in there which you could possibly really head for. And that's where the game is supposed to get its variety from, but there was an issue for me with them. There was five only available in the game, and you're playing with three every time. That's not a lot of variety. It's not. But the thing is with the instant wins, the sudden deaths as you put it, I feel like they were hard enough to attain that they weren't really affecting the game as well. So I feel like we could have had more variety in point scoring rather than having them. Yeah, I I aimed for them and nah. It wasn't working out. Just, it wasn't it's working not out. a valid strategy. <laughs> that, that is fair enough. So uh, you, you, know, you try and push to get loads and loads of red and you, you're just about over halfway. I think it's 12... 
red symbols and crystals combined. You can only hold a maximum of three, as we said, of crystals. And I really pushed for that and got to about seven or eight. And I could not physically have taken any more red as to what was available. So, you're, uh, yeah, I'm with you on there. Um, in summary, I think it was really quick, very smooth to learn and play, very, very pretty. It's simple and it has very little downtime. So for a light, small box game, it ticked a lot of boxes for me. Whether it had that magic will be revealed in the countdown. <laughs> I agree with everything that you said. I feel like it's kind of the after eight of these games that we've chosen. Oh. You have it after dinner. It's a nice little light. You're going to eat 12 Flowy. of them. Flowy, I'm going to eat 12 of them. <laughs> Flowy. Flowy. We're getting dancing. I don't get dancing when I do reviews with Sean. <laughs> Flowy. Okay. Flowy, pretty smooth. Where's it going to end up? Who knows? Depends how good or bad the rest of the games are, Suspense. I suppose. Boom, boom. <laughs> we can't do that after seven games. <laughs> We're playing our hand too early. Right. The next game we're going to talk about is a bit of an older one. This is Fuse by Kane, Klenko and Renegade Games. And I mentioned it last time when I talked about Proving Grounds. Fuse is sort of the middle game in that Kane, Klenko series where we have Proving Grounds as a solo game. This is the small box 10 minute game and you've got Flatline, which is a slightly bigger one. And they all work on the same premise whereby you have something that you have to get rid of. In this case, it's bomb cards and the different bomb cards come in levels one to four. And you, each player has a couple in front of them. It's a cooperative game and you start the timer and someone rolls as many dice as there are players in the game. And then everyone drafts one off those dice and puts it in a valid space on one of the two cards in front of them. They have different colours and obviously they've got different numbers and the spaces on the bomb cards, each bomb card has a certain number of spots for dice depending upon how hard it is and also special requirements for the dice. They might have to go from low to high in number or they might have to go from high to low or there might be certain colours required. It might be a red or a blue in a certain spot. Some of them require pyramids to be built or stacks. So it needs a black one, then a two, then a yellow one, then a whatever it might be. And once you fill up your bomb spot, that bomb goes, you draw another one from a market in the middle and you keep going and the number of bombs in there, the deck size is set by the number of players and the difficulty. And it is real time and it is stressful and Ellie, it's really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. And I'm not a big fan of real-time games in the first place, just personally. Don't shake your fist at me. I find them a bit too stressful. I like You're to think bad about rearing. things. Where are your parents? Here. I like to think about things. But I did really enjoy how, as you tried to play more as a team, it added more to your time. So it was becoming more stressful the more you try to cooperate. Do you like the fact we couldn't talk to each other? Yeah, we couldn't talk to each other. <laughs> Looking at your two cards, and because it has to move very, very quickly, it's very hard for you to look around and be aware of what the other players want. I'm going to say impossible, unless you're playing with two, maybe. So the communication between y'all had to be quick, snappy, and on point. And... <laughs> Not often used to describe our family. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us. <laughs> You rambling gobshites. <laughs> <laughs> so what it came then is because when you're drafting, everyone might want that one green die and then trying to find the mitigation of, oh, actually, if we think around it, I could take the one, you take the two and whatever. you. Oh, but don't leave the three in the middle or because it's yellow and then we'll all lose a yellow so we've got yellow on our cards. So to play well requires you to think so quickly and communicate so quickly that you're kind of forced into a position of mayhem where you cannot help but play 
subpar because obviously if you had all the time in the world you'd be able to work all this out it's how below subpar yeah how subpar yeah. you're playing is the place you're put into and that's where it creates the stress of ah oh, you always know you could do it better you do and that's where i think some of the challenge comes from is within yourself trying to do oh, it better it's a journey within yeah, it's a journey within. Talk me through it was this. inside us all along <laughs> the bomb <laughs> the dice anyway the presence of the dice anyway um i feel like i told you not to sniff things before you <laughs> yeah. came on here what have you been doing um i've forgotten where my good good that's how because yeah. you were snorting things good right uh, in terms of the draft again you're pushed very hard to, to do that quickly just grab one from the middle you've got to try and keep your difficulty numbers balanced so you don't have two fours or whatever because you'll get stuck and frustrated were you at all considering what other people had to put in place while you were drafting cards while i was drafting cards no not really is that specifically because i was shouting and jumping up and down <laughs> not specifically i won't say it was helped by that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good leadership style just do it we're gonna die just go please <laughs> I am too pretty. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, I'm, a very quick mention. I tried it solo. Yeah? Yeah. How'd that go? Really hard. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine. <laughs> it is a solo mode, and you roll one more die than you need. I think you got... I forgot now. I think you have three bombs in front of you, and you roll four dice. And you're trying to work out the best one to put... Because you're trying to run three at once. It's four times the thinking as opposed to playing full player. It's, I'm not happy about no, that. No, it was really, really, my brain melted. <laughs> Honestly, that was, it was quite late at night. I'm going to try it again, I don't know, sometime when I'm feeling tougher. <laughs> anyway, solo, very tough, good. It's a horses for courses game. You're going to know that because it's a real-time cooperative and sometimes people run away from those. It's very tough, but it is very quick. It's got that 10-minute timer. It's not going to hang around. And it is a, a certainly a team challenge. Everyone has to be up for it. Everyone has to be on the ball. Everyone has to be firing off quickly. And obviously that is going to work sometimes and not at other times. In terms of uh, real-time games, as I said, I'm not a big fan of them, but I did quite enjoy this with the stressful team aspect and um, trying to take into account the dice that other people need, but also trying not to explode yourself and taking the ones that you want. I didn't take into account what anyone else needed. <laughs> I was just trying to be the hero. You're a ruthless leader. <laughs> I know, it's easy for you to say. Okay. <laughs> Next game after Fuse is Lair. This was designed by Tam. I don't know if it's Tam or Tam or just Tam. T A M. Tam. From Game and a Curry Games. And in Lair, each of the players takes on the role of the lieutenant of a supervillain. And the supervillain has instructed us all to build them a lair inside a volcano. And the way that's going to be done is there's a column of cards laid out, which is in fact your scoring track. Each card in the column starts a row in which rooms can be built. And it starts with two rooms built. And each player has got three workers of two different types. On each turn, you're going to choose your starting place in turn order from the last turn. And that is a row of columns. And the further left is going to take their actions first in this turn or start taking actions first in this turn. But you're choosing how many room blueprints you get, action or work tokens or build points, which you're going to need in order to build the rooms. And it's like Fresco, if that makes any sense to you, in that if you choose the earlier, you get certain things and you get to go first. But if you choose later, you'll get other things. 
Then we move on to when you actually take actions. You can have a stack of work tokens and you spend a work token to move one of your workers. Now you've got two henchmen. Henchmen can go into rooms that are already built. By going into the room, they don't do anything, but they allow that room to be activated. So every room must have a henchman in it in order to be activated, but you can only have one henchman in each room. In order to actually activate a room, you must move your lieutenant on your next turn using a worker token and spending it to move to a room with a henchman in it. And when a lieutenant joins a room with a henchman, they can activate whatever that room does. If it's your own henchman, you just throw the work token away. If I, for example, move my lieutenant to a room where Ellie had a henchman, and I would have to give her the work token, which she would be able to use on the next turn or later, as she chooses. Uh, and then I'm going to get to do whatever the room does. Now, what do the rooms do? Well, they're going to let you build rooms, take different resources, slightly attack each other, possibly hand things in for points, overbuild other rooms. And when you build and overbuild, you're going to score victory points. And there's certain rooms like the missile silo. When you go in there, you, you hand in certain stuff and it will give you certain points. Now, when you score points, you move down that column, as I said, which is the center part of the layer. But it's not all revealed. And someone's going to have to take actions to reveal and dig that central tunnel deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to the very bottom of it. And the first player to get their victory marker all the way to the bottom of the shaft as it's getting unveiled will be the winner. So it is a race. Now, Ellie, I mainly mentioned the name of one room there, the missile solo. Each of the rooms, no matter what their actions are, has got a name and it's linked to, you know, a Bond 70s film, super villains lair idea. How thematic did you feel the experience was in playing lair? I didn't feel in terms of the room that it was too theme specific, but I felt like having to have henchmen in the room where you played your lieutenant was very interesting in the to activate them you had to pay other players if their henchman was in there which was i feel how it would be if you're all working for the same supervillain organization yeah i felt in that as well that you you're sort of vying for favor and you could stitch each other up but you couldn't all out attack each other you know, there was it felt like a rivalry rather than you were really combating each other but it never felt semi-co-op because from the description of the game, you're all building the same lair. Who does it best wins? Sounds like, but it's not like that. It felt competitive without devolving into a bum fight where the game bogged down and all. People could still get where they wanted to go. And it was a really interesting mechanic in that as well, because some players, <laughs> Dad, um, were able to very quickly figure out which rooms were most useful and which rooms people would most want to be I in. I came last, by the way, and before she starts going anywhere. Who won? <laughs> you. Oh. You won all the games that day. You had that five, oh. five games in a row win okay. streak. <laughs> That's cool. And then forgot you've lost that. Okay. Yeah. So you were saying that I was working out the rooms. Yeah. Apparently I, was a... I wasn't. <laughs> I was a bit... You were very rich at the end though. You had a nice pile. I had turned, not turned it into points. No. I was a bit too thick to figure out where people actually wanted to be. So I kind of just chucked my henchmen down in single use rooms. <laughs> When in doing that, then it, it should have cost you a lot of work tokens to get things done because I was getting a constant income in work tokens from you guys because I was trying to plan ways to put my henchmen. Did you feel like you were struggling to get work tokens? Not particularly because I feel like I often targeted them when I was going for my turn order column bonuses. Mm -hmm. But in that, it kind of did make it difficult for me to get room blueprints. I found that it was very I found that as well. Yeah. And, and you'd get ones that were the same as had already been built. And mm -hmm. you'd be like, oh, this one's a bit not much use to me. 
Uh, the, one of the good things about that was that you could get room blueprints that have come out that are worth more points than ones that are already down. And in that case, you could overbuild someone. So you could overbuild their, let's say, teleporter uh, with, a with a teleporter worth more, and then you could take and start trying to earn more tokens. But I think what it said to me is that of all the games we're going to talk about today, this one had the most depth to it. And if anything needed more plays to give a full review. This this one is the one I feel most is a first impression because there are patterns in that play that I think would evolve as you go on through as to when to overbuild, when to kick a henchman out, when that's a waste of turn, when a room is losing its effectiveness so I don't care about you being in there and when one is coming into its full use because rooms that are worth victory points, for example, handing stuff in, people are going to use them more towards the end of the game, whereas obviously the building ones, they're going to use more at the beginning and things like that. So there's a rhythm to the game that we weren't definitely picking up on, I didn't feel like. No, I don't think I've picked up on it either because I felt like, even though I won, I was the one constantly going in to expand the tunnel, the column of the... Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I never... I, in fact, I deliberately was not scoring points waiting for people to dig that column in order for me to then not have to do it. I did it both times. Yeah, and I fell behind. Mm. And then I never, because it was a race, I thought I'm not wasting that action to do it. But it turns out when you did it, you were then in a position to leap ahead again and I was always a move or two behind you. Well, because it gave you a build token as well. So I felt like that's how I was gaining build tokens. I also think it gave you the ability to time when to score. Yeah. Because you knew that, right, If I, it, I now know in two to two actions time i can score those points whereas i was waiting then you dig then i'd look to score points because i didn't want to be in a position to score the points and then just hanging on because i did that once or twice as well where i'm like right please please dig it okay please dig it okay <laughs> please. so i was kind of sitting stagnant for a little while so that it, i thought it was kind of throwaway to first start with but it became more important than i thought it would be yeah i can definitely see that I don't really know how it impacted my impacted my tactics in general. You made me sound a lot smarter than I actually was, saying that I had a plan to it's build It's a story of your 17 diving. years, that It is. really is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like maybe subconsciously it might have <laughs> Sure, we'll go with that. We'll go with that, yeah. Good. The puppet master here. <laughs> Uh, the one thing I did like is because I was worried with that whole theme that again that you might be shooting each other and event, but I felt like I had control over my own game and I was making my own decisions and I was I was guiding where I was going, but I had to react to what everyone else was doing in the lair. But I still had like, all right, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to do my own flow, and I couldn't be completely, you know, messed out and wiped out and be frustrated. I won't lie to you. Was Rachel a third player? Yes. I don't remember. You don't have to lie about that. It's okay. That won't upset <laughs> I, me. I don't remember anything that she did in that game. I remember you were stacking up work tokens. I remember I was going to expand the thing. She was doing very similar to you. Yeah. The two of you were racing ahead and I was trying to like stim in. But then at the end, she went to that converting to points via the missile silos. And almost, on you just jumped ahead of her. And oh, I did because I placed the last room. Yes, you I did. Remember, it was really yeah. annoying. It was. I had such good I next seven see. moves planned. I can see how that would have been annoying for you. <laughs> if that had seven moves longer, I'd have aced that. <laughs> seven moves longer when we were both at the end of the track. Yeah. Oh, but it was so beautiful. Right. Lair. Definitely the deepest of these games. Definitely not the experience I expected when I got it out. I thought it was just going to be a quick, fun, throwaway knockabout. And it, it's... A small box is attempting to give you almost a full Euro experience in 45 minutes, I'd say. 
I was going to say it could be made into a bigger Euro and still be a good game if there were more aspects to the room building. Mm, yes. Nice. And you were actually building rooms as you were doing oh, that. I was, like, this boy. is like a ballet performance. <laughs> we might have to stream this next time. <laughs> Contemporary dance. Oh, please don't. <laughs> okay. The next game is definitely something different. It's a quiz game. It's Mr. Lister's... No, it's not. Easy for you to Mr. say. Mr. Lister. <laughs> Is there, Mr. Lister's quiz shootout is not easy to say. <laughs> is it not? I had to pretend I wasn't saying it. Okay. <laughs> it's by Ben Drummond and Zoe Lee and Big Potato Games. I'm being very careful with my announcement. Oh, were they the ones with the big van? Yes, with the big potatoes. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, I like them. <laughs> Aimed definitely at 10 years below me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're very bright. Um, it's a team quiz game. And you have one question master and they have a question and it's going to be a list of something. So it's going to be, what are the top 10 of this? Or what are the ingredients in this recipe? Or what are the 10 most popular that's? Whatever it may be. For example, there was name all the races in Middle Earth or all the ingredients in Pad Thai and lots of different things. Each team is going to get three chances to answer. Now, off the correct answers, some of them are marked with a star. And if the team gets even one of those, that means they cannot lose that round yet. They are through. If a team gets a star answer, the other team has to also get a star answer. or All three of their answers have to be correct. Otherwise, the star answer team wins. Failing a star answer team is whoever has the most correct answers wins out of the three. Failing that, if it's a tie, you go to a shootout in which there is a question with a numerical answer and both teams get one guess and whoever is closest to the numerical answer, and it will be big, it'll be what's the number of Big Macs sold in the US in 2018, for example. Mm -hmm. It's more than four. And because I buy that many. Anyway. In the US. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I play in, I don't know. Anyway, whoever guesses nearest to the number would have won that round and then you know you play to wherever many points you want it's a quiz game okay something's bloated in our kitchen <laughs> moving on are we gonna die maybe we're gonna pause and get the cook okay we're back no one died <laughs> mr lister's quiz shootout honey Oh, uh, we played it in New Year's, didn't we? Yeah, with, with the fam. Twelve of us, and and it was a lot of family fun, I'd say. Was it? I felt like Ethan had the most fun out of all of us. <laughs> he likes a quiz. He do He loves a quiz, that boy. He's quite factual. Yeah, you thought it was good, did you? I thought it was a quiz game. I'm gonna let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I felt like because. You had cans that you had to collect as a win condition. Oh, that's right. That's how you win with the cans. Yeah. Did you forget about that? I did completely forget about that. Yeah. So the, the quiz cards have different types of cans on the back. Five? I think so, yeah. And you have to collect the five different types, but you might collect four of one type. And... Exactly. So I felt like that was the only thing that kind of set it apart from some other quiz games. I had an issue with it, though. In that some of the answers that were given weren't correct. Yeah, in keep fact, going. <laughs> in fact, I'll give you a run at this. <laughs> nine cards that we pulled, we must play nine or ten cards. Two of them are wrong, so that's quite a high. Go on. In terms of wrong, what do you mean? Talk, tell us. As in, there was a question about Disney princesses from birth, and they included Cinderella, and she's not a Disney princess from birth. Thanks. And I mean, I think this family would know. Whether we would know. This family specifically. <laughs> Didn't we, we think know. of a princess that they'd forgotten about as well? Yeah, like Moana or something. 
Could have been. And, like aerial, something uh, like that. And there was a question about pad thai, like what only reads the pad thai? And we had some decent cooks in the room going, what? what? There's not this. And then there's a question about the Middle Earth races that I mentioned and goblins weren't on there, but some other things were that were a bit odd. And it, and then you look at the bottom, you know where it says the sources come from? And you're like, oh. It's like fandom wiki and stuff. Uh, is that like the richest? Yeah, the richest of those top 10 videos. Yeah. Top 10 best pairs of crocs seen in <laughs> Hollywood stars. That, that's the source for your quiz? Yeah. Oh, Someone watched a BuzzFeed video and then decided to make Really? It no, yeah. yeah. No, seriously. That is the quality of sources for these lists. So when you look at them, you're like, this is just an opinion. This isn't a <laughs> quiz. This is guess what this one person's opinion was when they were it's making this fake video. Fake news. <laughs> I'm moving on from Mr. Lizard's quiz show because a quiz with terrible sources that you can't rely on the answers for is absolute waste of time. So, spoiler seven. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We've got three left. We'll go through them fairly quickish because these are all relatively light. The the deepest one is the first one we're going to come to and it's called Oriflam by Adrian and Axel Helsing from Studio H. H, I should say. Each of the players takes on the role of a different family, jostling for power in a medievalish kingdom. Each player gets a deck of 10 cards. Everyone gets the same 10 cards for their own family. They're going to shuffle them up and draw seven, and then you get to look at your whole hand, and the game has been played with everyone taking their turn to play one card at a time until everyone has played all seven. So from the start player, they put one of their seven cards face down on the table. Each subsequent player from there gets the choice of placing at the front or the back of this line you are now forming, this row of cards. Once everyone has played one card, we're then going to start with whoever is on the left, and it may not be the first player, in fact it probably won't be, and they can choose either to put one power on that card and leave it unturned, or turn it over and activate whatever the power is. And each of the ten cards everyone gets and the seven they play, each of those has got a unique power. If you leave the power on there, it will sit there until you flip the card, unless that card is eliminated at some point. Because we run through the row, first player moves around, then everyone plays one more card face down, then we run through the row again. And you're choosing to flip or not. But each of those that has previously been flipped over that is still in play will activate again. So we need to know what sorts of things that these will do. Well, they will score points depending upon what's next to them. They may attack any card in the row and disappear. They may attack adjacent cards and kill them. And every time you kill a card, you score a point for doing it. So not only is it a negative against the next person, but also you're gaining something for it. There is a card called the Ambush that if it gets attacked, gets more more influence because you've lured someone into it. You've got a plan you can put in play. And the longer you leave it unflipped, the better. Because once it flips over, it doubles its score. But of course, someone else can attack it and take all the influence you've gathered on it away from you. You can move cards around in the row, thereby affecting where things are and, and how they score and how they affect. And you're going to run through this row. It's going to get affected. And you're going to kill each other. And you're going to play it. It's going to take about 20 minutes. And at the end, whoever has collected the most influence points is going to be the winner of Oriflam. Ellie, this is similar to lots of games in which people get a deck of rolls and they choose a roll each round and then that roll activates and they're looking to score points. And the most famous one people talk about is Citadels. This one is slightly different. One of the problems people have with Citadels is it's a very direct attacking game. Oriflam also has that direct attacking whereby you are knocking each other's cards out. How did that work for you as that aspect of the game? 
I thought the fact that they activated every round was really cool because you had to set yourself up so certain cards assassinated the card that was next to them. So you had to try and set yourself up in a row with people where you were going to be assassinating them and not yourself. Yeah, the, the spatial aspect was surprisingly important. And the choice of going to the left or the right of the road, do I want this to activate early? But when it activates early, does it become a target then? And there were things like, is it your guard or your soldier that, that kills soldier. one either side of you? And sometimes you had to look at what the card was beyond that as well, because definitely I was in a situation with Ellie where her soldier was two to the left of me, and I wanted to kill the card in between because it was scoring Sean lots of points. But if I did, the next time we run through the row, her soldier would be next to my soldier, activating first, and to the left of that was her own card. So she's definitely going to kill my soldier. So then do I take out this one that's scoring Sean loads of points, or do I put myself at risk, or do I take out the one to the right, which might be someone who hasn't got so many points? So it was actual, you'd think you flip and you do it, there's not many decisions there. It had more decisions, and the spatial aspect was more important than I anticipated. When it was first explained to us, I didn't fully realise the fact that they were going to activate every round. I thought they activated once oh, when you flipped them. Oh, I was taught poorly. No, I get it. No, no, no I understand that. Fine, I was trying to learn it from fine. the rule book, but it's, I'd be like that. It's all right. It's fine. Just I fine. forgive you. Thanks. <laughs> um, so when we started going through, I went, ah, oh, I haven't placed these very well. <laughs> yeah, and you'll play <laughs> And then I had to kind of readjust the way that I was playing, which I didn't feel like was so much of an issue the second time I played it. Definitely not. Which would be really annoying if it was longer. But the fact it's a 20-minute game, we all played it badly to start with and then went, oh, well, we definitely, that will play out differently <laughs> yeah. and we'll attack different things and be a bit smarter. And you're like, I'll definitely score more points next time and you definitely don't. <laughs> you never score more because other people get smarter too. You don't anticipate that other people will also I, gain strategy. I choose my gaming mates specifically on the grounds that they won't get any smarter. <laughs> so this is oh, a big letdown. <laughs> it's another one of these games I'm going to say, complete lack of downtime. Is that a bad thing for you? No, it's good because you're constantly there involved and you're constantly looking at what other... Even when they're flipping their cards, you're interested in what card they've played because it yeah. informs you as to what they might have left. Because of the conspiracy versus ambush thing as well. You're always trying to anticipate whether or not they've left it too long for it to be a conspiracy mm -hmm. and now they're just trying to get someone to assassinate it. It's really satisfying though, taking out someone's conspiracy because you see just the light go out of their eyes. You're a sad person. <laughs> And we mentioned it there. It, I learned it from the rule book. Took about five minutes to read it. It's actually a rule pamphlet, I'm going to say. <laughs> and it's one of those games that really you could teach it in three minutes or teach it in 15 and it would make no difference because someone has to play it. Yeah, They have to play it and see it and see the interaction and that's when they'll go, oh, I see. Yeah, I quite liked it. I like the... As you play more and more, you're going to be able to build more strategies and you're learning, but it's never quite the same because you're never quite sure how different people are going to play it. Nice. Very interactive in that yes. way. Jolly good. So we're sounding more hopeful about Oriflam than more about Mr. Lister. <laughs> just, uh, just a tad. I use my assassin on Mr. Lister. <laughs> okay. Our penultimate game is Similo from Horrible Guild, designed by Hyama Hack. Martino Chiacchiera and Pierre-Louis... No, sorry, Pierre-Luca Zizi. I wrote those down really badly. On my apologies. In Similo, what you get in... There's two different ones at the moment. There's fables and then there's historical figures. But in each of them, there's 30 cards that have the depiction of a sort of cartoonized face of someone. 
The person who is going to be the clue giver gets dealt 12 of these cards. They shuffle them up, look at one, shuffle them again, and lay them all out face up. And only they know which one card all the other players are trying to fathom out is the correct one. So it is a co cooperative game in that way. The clue giver then draws a hand of three cards, and then they will play one of those cards with either a horizontal or vertical aspect, denoting whether this is a positive or negative clue. I'm making this sound a lot more complicated than it is. They're basically saying it's like this for some reason or it's not like this for some reason. So if I had someone who had blonde hair, I could put a card down with blonde hair and it would be vertical saying, yeah, like this. They might pick up on the fact that it's blonde hair, might pick up on something else. Then I might put someone, let's say, with black hair sideways to say, not like that. But there's no chance your team are going to get that because they'll be wondering about their parentage, what era <laughs> they lived in, whether they were left-handed... <laughs> What Some names nice are their... abstract guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What names their horses, all sorts of <laughs> stuff. After the first card's played, it's up to the team to remove one of the 12 cards out of play. Second card, they remove two, then three, then four. Then you'll be down to just two cards left if you've got that far. Because if they ever remove the card you're trying to get them to guess, then they we have all lost. And from the last two, you get the last and fifth clue, and they remove one of them, and we are either right or we are wrong. And this is... Mysterium light Eleanor in about five to ten minutes of gameplay. I quite liked that because Mysterium's a lot of commitment. You have to set it up <laughs> and sit down and play. Yeah, no, I really like Mysterium. I'm a big fan of it. And I like that this is a dinner table Mysterium, basically. And that you're guessing with figures who are familiar to you. So like Isaac Newton and Cleopatra and you're seeing them and there are so many different possibilities so you could be guessing based on era you could be guessing based on appearance and as there's a lot more conflict as you try and narrow them down where people are saying no i think they i think it's this one because this is the era they were born with but no i think it's that because he's a guy and all of that yes but i will be played devil's advocate and counter and say it does come down to relatively few factors in most setups because there's quite a lot of variety in the cards, especially in the Fables one. I think Fables is a lot easier. So you're not that likely to get three or four cards that are quite similar. Mm. If I put down two females, both of whom have got brown hair, well, then you, you know you're looking for a brown hair female and there's, there's only going to be one or two left or something like that. So I, I did feel like a lot of attention came right at the end because narrowing it down was quite easy. And I guess... That is intentional because it's the sort of very quick game, like you're saying, that is really for younger or more casual audiences or just waiting for your meal to turn up where it's down, you're playing it. You don't want it to be over in round one. You want at least yeah. to feel like you're getting close, I think. I honestly preferred uh, the historical ones to the fables, not just the figures that we were guessing, but the artwork for some reason, I just preferred it. I really liked it. They're not exactly the same. No. I might be in a... They are exactly the same, but I just liked them. Exactly the same, but different. Yeah, okay. the same, but different. Mm, okay, if you say so. <laughs> I say so. Okay. Anything else to say about Simolo? Uh, not really. I think it'd kind of be cool to bring in a competitive aspect. Maybe as a house rule, you eliminate cards together, but you guess at the end alone. Oh. Yeah. You could write down which one you eliminate all the way down and see who got the right one. All right, we're trying that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's similar. Super quick, super quick rundown. It, it is 
Mysterio boiled down to its bare essence, but it's meant to be that. So that's what you get within the package. The final game that we're doing, package, package. the final <laughs> game we're doing is Snowman Dice, designed by Mike Elliott from Brain Games. Snowman Dice is also a real-time dice roller, but this one is competitive, in which each player gets five dice with six custom faces on them, and they roll them. They are trying to get the feet, the body, and the head off a snowman rolled. When they get the feet, body, and head, they can stack them on top of each other, and then they can start to move them. Just like real life. That's exactly what I do every morning, trying to get my feet, body, and head aligned. (laughs) You can replace any of those aspects with a wild, which is one of the face of the dice, if you choose to, at the risk of losing points. Once you've got a snowman, you're looking to get a push result, an arrow on one of the dice that's remaining. Obviously, the more aspects you have in your snowman, the fewer dice you're rolling. Once you get an arrow and a push, you can then start to, guess what? Push your snowman. You're trying to push it towards the middle of the playing area where there is a disc and the first person to get a complete snowman pushed all the way to touch that disc is going to score points. If they have made a pure snowman of foot body... I'm a snowman purist. That's right, you are. I've seen you. (laughs) Uh, if you get foot, body and head, it was hard to say, you'll score two points. If you've got any wilds in there, you're just going to score one point. However, the sixth and as yet unrevealed face of the dice <laughs> is a snowball. And if someone rolls a snowball, they again get to flick that dice at anyone <laughs> else's snowman, be it complete, wild, pure or not. There will be dice flying around the place. But it's up to the person who flicked the die to retrieve the die, unless it's on the floor between Ellie and Rachel and I can't physically get to it, <laughs> in which case I will have a tantrum and shout that everyone has to stop and that it was just getting a bit ridiculous now. I can't even play the game if you won't let me get to my own dice, you mean witches. Snowman dice, Ellie. I'm going to loosely call this a dexterity game. <laughs> And say that I'm terrible at dexterity games and that I don't think I got a single snowman to the middle, but that that kind of made it more fun. It's very frustrating that every time I got a head, body and foot, dad was there with a snowman. (laughs) About 70% of my game was ignoring making snowmen (laughs) and just just rolling snowballs. (laughs) My dice were everywhere. I would get down to none left and then have to run around and pick all five up off the floor, giggling. It's fast and frantic. It is. It was funnier than I thought it was going to be. Yes, it was. It really was. Because when I saw it and you said we're going to be stacking dice, I was like, oh, okay. And then we started doing it and you were like, you're poking it wrong. You need to take your <laughs> finger off. You were poking it wrong. I was the... poking it you... wrong. It's not the side of your finger. It wasn't the side of my finger. I was using my finger as stru- my thumb as structural support. No, you were double pushing. You were guiding. The... Rachel was double pushing. She definitely. The pushing in this house <laughs> was beyond the realms that is it was acceptable. <laughs> it's supposed to be a pointy end of finger push only, not half a thumb tucked my in. Don't do you, that. Using two different from the weeding them out using me casino chip pusher my bridge it was filth stop making snooker jokes <laughs> I had to get quite strict on the rules here because it was very serious and I was not get, breaking out a sweat for no good reason <laughs> you were breaking out a sweat sn- a sweat easy for you to say snood you were breaking out a sweat from collecting your dice not just that from that is poking. true that took a long time <laughs> okay we got very loud playing it Yes. But then when I think about it, was there anything to make it stand out from other games or is it just the fact that we're all idiots and we start <laughs> shouting at each other when we play any of these games? Anything that's even mildly physically competitive, <laughs> we're just screaming at each other. I kill you! I'll end you, little man! 
That does happen a lot. Yeah, yeah we forget about that. Most okay. used phrases in our household. <laughs> it's snowman dice is for anyone, and it's fast and it's funny. And you have to get into the right spirit of it where you're really willing to give it a dig with those dice and try and take out some snow whenever you're not rolling right. And just roll with it because it's not precise. It's not very accurate. <laughs> no. People will cheat when they're pushing. Rachel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, we had fun with it. It was funny. Yeah, we really did. And it was definitely a good family game that we could have fun with as a family because we all have the same approach to um, physical games. We all scream, we all shout. I can see how it'd be an issue with someone who doesn't like that kind of thing. <laughs> but, you know. Don't play them in our house. It's not a safe place. Don't bring them here. No. Okay, those are the seven games rundown. What we're going to do now is we're going to go from seven to one. I'll kick us off with my number seven, which you know already. And after that, we should have some some sort of consensus as to one or two or more small box games that you may want to have a look at and give a play to. So, Ellie, breaking no suspense here, <laughs> my number seven was Mr. Lister's Quiz Shootout. It was an absolute pile of trash because... The questions were sourced abysmally. It was a lazy Google attempt to find some information and that was not good enough. I am completely in agreement with you. My number seven is also Mr. Lister. I feel like the only redeeming quality it had was the company we played it in and that's not really to do with the game, is it? That's just you sucking up to your family so you get better Christmas presents. I love you guys! (laughs) (laughs) Number six for me... Just because I found it so simple and that I found it repetitive even after a couple of games was Similo. Really? Although, yeah, I can see a niche for it in the market. I think if you've got younger kids, you know, literally a 10 minute game where they're looking and thinking and looking at hair colours and trying to notice details. For me and us, I wasn't getting a lot out of it, but clearly you disagree. Uh, my number six was Snowman Dice. Mm-hmm. I just felt like it was another simple family fun game, um, but it didn't really have that much substance to it. So, yeah. It's because it's snow. It is. It melts. Oh, wow. You yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. My number five was Snowman Dice. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say, yeah, I agree. Mm. Mm. With you. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The podcaster's curse. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, number five for me was Fuse. I am not a big fan of real-time games. Sorry about that. Getting a few gestures here in the pit area, the pit cavern or whatever this is. Just too much. Too much all at once. My number four was Bees. It's attractive. It was perfectly fine to play. I'd happily play it again. It's completely inoffensive. Again, I think it's probably for younger just younger, not even casual players, I think. But 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 in terms of if I was stepping the girls, they were a lot younger, and stepping them into playing games, I'm talking around six, seven, eight. I think this would be perfect because it's so attractive. They just like playing with it because of the nice bits, and I mean that, and that's perfectly valid as well. And, and it is really, really good. Even I can see that, and I'm an idiot. That, that, that is a very attractive game, and I I had fun playing it. And certainly, that sounds like it fits people that you play games with. I would say bees is a good game to go with my number four was lair i felt like of all of the games it had the most actual substance but um it wasn't a game that i personally by taste particularly enjoyed i don't know i just didn't find that i was very easily able to chain my actions together or figure out how to you know crack the game and my number three is lair 
So I did enjoy it. I think it's the one that suffers most from us having put it into this particular format because I think it could have been on a full review show with myself and Sean and I could have played it five times and then I could have told you more whether the patterns that emerge get past some of the roughness of the learning of it. I think it's a smaller company. I, I can't tell whether because it's slightly odd, there's a slight bit of oddness in play and in flow, or it's just a slightly rough design. But overall, there's definite merit to it. It definitely has you think in a different way. The fact that you're using other people's workers is very interesting. Perhaps some of the rooms could have been more interesting, but you can't have everything all at once. And I do recommend Lair for a deeper small box experience. The box, small box experience. The box. <laughs> My number three is Simolo. As I said before, I'm a huge fan of Mysterium and I like that it's a small condensed version of Mysterium where we were able to put in our fun little abstract family jokes and stuff and get everyone guessing. And my number two is Oriflamme, which to me was a much better but similar game to Citadel's. I think that the interaction was really fun. I think that there was attacking but with no malice. There was always opportunities to score points. Even people who looked like they might be behind could make a comeback. It was super quick, super easy to teach. And this could be a filler. And it's very difficult now, I think, even more so than previously, to be a sort of breakout filler that lots of people start playing. But I think for gaming groups, this could be a filler that slowly grows organically and gets a wider and wider audience. And I think in a couple of years' time, a lot more people will have played Oriflam. My number two is Bees. I really enjoyed it. Like Dad said, it was really pretty. I like playing it. I like collecting little things. I like that there wasn't that much downtime because you were always collecting off other people's actions. We get more of my interpretive dance over here. I just really liked bees. Jolly good. So my number one, and I know that this isn't a universal recommendation, <laughs> but as much as I hated Proving Grounds last time and it was my least favourite solo game, Fuse is my favourite of these multiplayer small box games because I enjoy that tense place that you go to and I enjoy the fact it's really difficult and I enjoy the fact that after four plays or whatever, we've never got close to winning no. it, uh, but but we're slowly getting better. I mean, there was like almost half the deck left the first time we yeah. played and slowly we're getting there and approaching it and we can feel that a, a task that I felt was impossible, we felt was impossible to start with, slowly we can see we're getting better at it. There's a lot going on. It's constant communication. It reminds me a bit of Magic Maze in that tension <laughs> Of having a chat another all the time. game I didn't like yes but you'll play it with me again one day <laughs> one day <laughs> magic maze PTSD so I absolutely love fuse and I think it's even strange to me because I know I love fuse I love flatline why proven grounds are so bad I don't understand something went wrong there but anyway there you go my number one for these was fuse my number one game was oriflam I really enjoyed it it's the only game that I've actually requested again because I really want to play it more. I want to get better. I actually haven't... Because when you deal out your cards at the beginning, you take two cards out of your deck, so no one's exactly sure what you have. I've never played with the Conspiracy. Oh. So I want to get in there with Which the Conspiracy. Which is weird, because you're a right old conniving witch. Oh, so. thanks. <laughs> I don't think you should say that on the internet. No, it's okay. Well, it's no. fine. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you mentioned, but it was French Game of the Year last year, wasn't it? Something like that. Sean told me that. We can't repeat that. <laughs> no, okay. Cut that out. <laughs> Sean's doing some Mr. Lister sourcing yeah. over there. I was just about to say it. Stop stealing my jokes. No. 
<laughs> anyway, I really, really like Doriflam, and I want to see it on our table again. Jolly good, you will. You will. I, I that, will. That one's sticking. Right. So I'm sure you've taken from there. Probably the number one recommendation is Oriflam. Oriflam. If you fancy a short game, quick to learn, quick to teach, getting into it, that's our number one. I would say the next two that came with recommendations, they're both, you know, both our top fours, were Bees and Lair. Yeah. Almost the opposite ends of depth for a games in, in these books <laughs> this small. Bees, very light for, for casual audience. Lair, if you want some meat. And those will be, if you get those three small box games for the next couple of months, that will set you right, I would say. Yeah. Good. Quarantine game. <laughs> oh, we'll try not to talk about it too oh, much. Sorry. We're trying to let everyone enjoy themselves. Right. Thank you, Eleanor, for being here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. In my own dining room. <laughs> you are literally locked in the house. I am. You had no choice. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us again on The Game Pit. If you want to catch all our episodes, you can head to uh, thegamepit.podbean.com. You can get them on Stitcher or iTunes or... Spotify. Spotify or AntennaPod or... <laughs> Please, heard of that one. Oh, that's one I use. I like AntennaPod. There you go. There's a I free. I use Spotify. Oh, no. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you can get them in all those places. And they're wherever you get your podcast from because you listen to this. I don't know why we say that. No. But, but the, the companies, when you go on, tell you you have to mention their company. Oh. Yeah, it's like... It's okay. Too. We're on Spotify. Okay, good. <laughs> we love you, Spotify. If you want to talk to us, you can catch us at thegamebitpodcast.gmail.com. Also, we are fairly active on Twitter. On Facebook, we've got an Instagram account that Natalie runs for us, so we're there as well. We've also got our Board Game Geek Guild. Head over there for amazing gaming coverage. Head to thedicetower.com, including the Dice Tower YouTube channel, where you will be seeing videos from us again one day, believe it or not. (laughs) At some point. I've either been ill or I'm back to work. (laughs) This quarantine's not working for me getting videos done, but it's getting there. Thank you so much, everyone, and we'll catch you next time, maybe even with Sean on maybe. The Game. Maybe if he shows up. <laughs> Music by E. Aaron.